Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is the first episode of a new series that we're going to start, and it is called the NBA Wheel of Fandom. So before we get further into this discussion, Let's introduce our guest for the episode. He is the host of The Impact. Please welcome Ian Evans. What's going on, everybody? Happy to be back once again. Let's get into it. And on that note, I should transition to Jalen because this was something that Jalen came up with during our planning session at the beginning of the month of July. So, Jalen, talk about the Wheel of Fandom and something that you're actually going to do for your own blog as well. Yeah, so guys, the Wheel of Fandom basically works like this. I made a big old wheel on random app that allows you to just generate a ton of different options that can be randomized and everything. And I threw every NBA team on there. And the idea that we're going to follow is every single week we're going to spin the wheel. And whatever team that wheel lands on, lands on that's the team we're going to talk about for the week. This is actually an idea inspired by the basketball buds on the athletic uh, NBA show. I have to fully disclaimed that, that that was something that was thrown out to them. They reach out to NBA beat writers, though. The switch for us is that we're going to talk to you guys. We're going to try to talk to NBA fans, uh, fans of the pod, um, and try to focus really heavily on that team in particular, because I know it's so easy for us to focus on the big picture, the grand scale things of the NBA, talk about some of the bigger names and everything like that. But everybody has an individual team that they're a fan of and it's not always the lakers the warriors the celtics and so on and so forth but with that being the case today we actually are starting with the celtics that was the first team to be um hit on the wheel of fandom so hence why we brought on our guy ian evans who is a super fan of the boston celtics ryan we have so much to get into today guys but the first thing that we're going to start off with is just simply the basics of boston so Boston last season finished the year off an even Steven 36 and 36, 16th overall in points per game, 11th in opponents points per game, um, 10th in offensive rating, 14th in defensive rating. This is a team that got knocked out in the first round by the Brooklyn Nets after losing in five games. Ian, we'll start with you since you're the super fan on the pod. Give a letter grade for the Boston Celtics season factoring in everything that took place this year and how they finished off the season. B minus. Um, I was very close to saying a C plus, but we did make the playoffs. I don't think you can give any team a playoffs uh, a C. So I, I say a B minus for a lot of reasons. Um, for those of you who don't know, I mean, we started off the season relatively extremely well. We started off, I think, on a five or six game winning streak. We were the number one seed for a while. And then we just decided to be extremely inconsistent we decided to blow so many fourth quarter leads. It was at a point where, where the Celtics were my basically my drinking inspiration. It was just tough watching them sometimes because I just knew if we were up by like 10 or 15 in the third, we would find a way to blow it. And then on top of that, our bench production was just god awful sometimes. And it was just tough when our starters would go out. I'm like, oh, here we go. Basically, um, ultimately, it ended with, you know, us losing to the Nets in the first round of the playoffs. I mean, I, I didn't really see us getting that far. I mean, getting past them anyway. So um, I say B minus because, I mean, there's some positives, but there's obviously, there's obviously some things we need to work on. So B minus. 
Ryan, how about you, man? From a distance, we were looking at this team um, throughout the year, and obviously the two names that come up is Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown consistently, but how did you feel about this team overall with the way they finished and the things that took place throughout the year? I have to give them a C plus, and I think this team came into the season with very high expectations as they reached the Eastern Conference Finals the year before, and this team was both a top-five team in offensive and defensive rating last year, and they are 10th and 14th this season. I would say the season overall was disappointing, and they played in the play-in tournament. Granted, they beat the Wizards, but they struggled against Brooklyn. They only won one game in that series, and I think there were a couple reasons, not only throughout the season why they struggled, but during the Brooklyn series. Number one is Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker showed that he could be a premier point guard in the NBA in his first year at Boston, but also in his time at Charlotte. But I feel like injuries hurt his time in Boston, and also his role in Boston in general was hurting him. I saw Kemba as a guy that was the third scoring option for the Celtics, and I think it was hard for him to score with guys like Jason Tatum and and Jalen Brown on the floor. But also it was really because he was used to being that first scoring option in Charlotte. So I feel like that that was some adjusting to get used to with Kemba Walker. And the other factor that Ian touched on, and I'll expand more on it, Bench scoring. This team ranks 28th in the NBA this season in bench scoring with 31.3 points per game. And I said the entire season, this team needs players who can produce coming off the bench. And they didn't have that for most of the season. And it wasn't really until the trade deadline when they got Evan Fournier that they were trying to make improvements on that. But by the time they made the playoffs, it was too late. Um, I'm going to give this team a B, and I think it's just realistically out of the fact that it depends on what your circumstances are. And in their case, they're coming there. They were entering a year where they lost Gordon Hayward to free agency. They had moved Al Horford, who was an integral piece to their intern um inside defense around the rim. And it was a team that got uh Ian was talking about how they started the year. But one of the big things that gets left in in the mix was how many COVID stoppages this team had faced in terms of having to have games postponed, moved around, flat out canceled to a certain degree. Um, and I think that that was one of the bigger things that had hurt them as well. Obviously, the way they ended the year wasn't great in terms of the playoffs, but I think getting one t- one game off of the Brooklyn Nets was something to be, um, I guess, proud of considering the circumstances, um, especially the big one being that they lost Jalen Brown just prior to the series even kicking off. That was one of the big things that hurt them down the stretch and I think hurt their playoff chances, even with the fact that it kind of seemed like a bit of a mismatch going into the um going into the round. I think this is a team that has been in trouble in terms of the offseason moves for a long time. And this was one of the first years where their their talent on the floor was not able to play above their lack of movement um, made by the front office. The front office stood pat very consistently. And there came a point where it was going to have to make us just do that. This team would have to get better without simply just improving internally and this was one of the years where I think they couldn't win in spite of the front office so I have to give them a B because the team on the floor actually succeeded relatively well against their circumstances but let's talk about some of those circumstances going into this offseason Ime Yudoka is the new head coach after Brad Stevens has been elevated to a head of basketball operations role Danny Ainge has stepped away one of the bigger headlines in the NBA. We've already talked about this in a prior podcast, so uh, feel free to check that out. Um, We'll actually have a link down below for that uh, if you want to check that out specifically about the discussion we had. We did that discussion with Ian. Um, 
But let's talk about expectations going into this offseason. Ian, we'll come right back over to you with this one. What is one thing on the agenda that you believe your team needs to address this offseason? The coaching change has already been made. Uh, the front office has already already been relatively established. So at this point, it does seem like a lot of it has to do with personnel. But what do you think? Well, let me get into some things we also do need, but then I'll get into the thing we actually need the most. Um, sure. Obviously, there like, like we, I mean, we need shooting. That's that's one thing we definitely need. I mean, there's guys that can shoot, but not efficiently well. We we don't really have guys that are, I guess you could say, pure shooters. The only one is really Evan Fournier. But again, like if you're talking about pure shooters, you need more than one. I'd say probably two or three. Another is perimeter defense. We need that as well. I mean, it's been okay, but it it could definitely be better. Um, and then the last one I'd say is playmaking. Uh, I looked it up today because I actually didn't know how bad we were in assisting uh, our our players. We were 24th in assists per game this year. That's awful. Uh, for a team that made the playoffs, that's technically good and bad. Like, oh, you can make, you know, your shot creators can produce on a high level, a.k.a. Brown and Tatum, but we didn't have Tatum, um, Brown. But when it comes to it, um, oh, my goodness, like, playmaking was awful. There's no way the Celtics would be 24th. But I think that the, the – the thing we need the most, I think we've already said it multiple times, is batch production. I think that's the the first team need, and it needs to be addressed ASAP. I mean, we have guys like Jalen Brown already on the squad improving drastically. We already have Jason Tatum, who scored 26 points per game this year. Granted, we're going to have to get a point guard some way. Somehow we'll probably get into that conversation later on because I definitely have a free agent guy who I definitely want on my team. Anyway, but... When it comes down to it, we need we need that bench production because there's no way we should be up 15, 20 points, and then we bring in our second unit, and now we're down 15. That makes absolutely no sense. And as a Celtics fan, we're actually used to solid benches. So this year was actually a big question mark and actually rather frustrating to watch a bench come in and completely just waste the lead that was given to them. So, yeah, bench production I think is the number one team we need. Ryan, do you do you believe the same that this that bench production is the main thing that the Celtics need to target, or is there anything else more particular that you feel as though they might need to go after that might be a smidge more important? I agree with Ian on this one. I think bench scoring is the most important thing on the agenda for the Boston Celtics. I mean, you obviously have other issues. You have a crowded front court right now with guys like Al Horford and Tristan Thompson and other younger guys like Robert Williams and Moses Brown that will be fighting for playing time this season. You also have the issue of trying to find a point guard to replace Kemba, and that's something we're going to talk about later. I have a couple free agents in mind that they could pull off a signing trade with. They could build it through the draft or give the keys to Marcus Smart or Peyton Pritchard, but I don't know how likely that would be. So I do agree bench scoring is the way to go. You need production off the bench if you want to be a playoff caliber team. But also, let's keep in mind, Evan Fournier is going to be a free agent. So if you're the Celtics, do you pay him 10 to $20 million this season? And I think that's going to be the big question for Brad Stevens in the offseason and just trying to build this bench. And you also have players who aren't getting a lot of playing time, like Carson Edwards and Tremont Waters and Mo Wagner and Taco Fall, who I feel like can get more playing time elsewhere. So I think that this is the biggest priority. And there are players in this free agency class that can help him out with that. Yeah, so I think I'm just going to address the point that you both made um, without, you know, tackling it too in depth because you got both you both also made the uh right correct assumption that it's something we're going to dive into a little bit later but i think one of the top things is probably elite point guard play um ian you as a celtics fan understand that the last i want to say i want to say six years in particular have been occupied by an all-star caliber point guard um you had isaiah thomas at one point 
uh, who really only had one like true all star caliber year, I would say. But I would say that um, he was a guy who kind of fit that mold for you guys for about two years that he was here um for you guys then the transfer over to Kyrie Irving obviously and there was step from that and you guys never lost a beat in terms of moving from Kyrie Irving because that replacement was Kimba Walker so the question I think Ryan kind of posed it a little bit was the idea of is there this ideal that now you guys would hand Marcus Smart the keys finally in terms of being that guy I don't necessarily think that's a belief and I don't think internally that that's a belief I think that's why he's been waved out there in trades to Dallas and so forth and so on so I think that's another thing to keep in mind is that with the fact that we don't know about the certainty of Marcus Smart um their point guard spot is very thin because you are looking at guys in that that area of Peyton Pritchard and Carson Edwards they don't really have very like talented depth at the point guard position uh what do they do do they trade for an elite star guard is this one of those situations where they have to engage in a sign and trade is there a situation where they might be able to pick up somebody in free agency by doing some kind of player movement to free up space because that's always an option as well as difficult as that can be especially with their cap situation we'll get into that actually in a second but I think that's one of their biggest things is that they haven't had elite point guard play um they haven't been without elite point guard play in a little while and so the question now that they face is, are they going to actually go into this next season uh, devoid of that? Or is there a way that they're going to go about acquiring it? So talking about their actual cap situation, because we've been kind of treading around it, but it's one of those things that's going to be extremely important in this conversation specifically. This is a team that is pretty he- uh, pretty held up, I think is the way I'm going to phrase it. Um, in terms of their cap situation, three guys at the top in terms of their cap situation starts with Jason Tatum floating around 28 mil Al Horford, who they reacquired uh, via that trade with Kimball Walker that sent him to Oklahoma city. That's for 27 mil. His, uh, his contract uh, stuff is actually decreasing, but he has about two years, including next season still left on his contract. And the third guy is obviously Jalen Brown, who signed that four to five year max extension. Think about a season or two ago. So those are the three top paid guys on the list. Some of the guys that are, are occupying as cap holds, whether it be, guys that are going to be out via free agency or just guys that they can make a player option on those guys on the list are Evan Fournier who Ryan mentioned earlier Luke Cornette Semi Ojale Taco Fall Tremont Waters and then obviously whoever they choose to pick with the 45th overall pick in the second round if they elect to actually make a choice with that pick now some of the things that they do have some eligibility to work around is they have a biannual exception for 3.7 mil and the non-taxpayer mid-level exception that's going to be something we mentioned a ton in this podcast specifically is the non-taxpayer mid-level exception for 9.5 mil that's going to be their best form of wiggle room in terms of being able to pick up anybody in the offseason via free agency one of the other things that's going to come into mind and be extremely huge in this conversation when we talk about the kind of guys they can acquire is that they are currently 7.9 million above the the current luxury tax so they have that to work with as well but that also is kind of limiting in terms of what they can do this offseason in terms of the free agent market. So do not be surprised if a lot of this conversation has more to do with signing trades as opposed to straight out long term deals. So, guys, 
that's a lot to read off, but it's one of those things that, again, is going to play a lot of factors in a lot of these teams this offseason because not a lot of teams have a crazy amount of space. COVID hit a lot of people's pockets, and that does also affect the cap space. So starting with that, Ian, there's a few options that you guys have to go with. Me and Ryan discussed this off the pod about the options that we think are probably the most viable for Boston. But there's a couple options that I want to throw out to you in regards to this team's offseason. And I want to see what you think might be their best approach. The four options that they have on the table is to trade their young players for veteran players that are going to be more open to being on short term deals or expiring contracts that could contribute right now. There would be guys that have about a year or two left on their contract. They're not going to be crazy impact players, but they're going to fill your roster in a way that might be a smidge more um, applicable to winning now as opposed to some of these young guys who still need to develop. There's the option of standing pat and allowing the young guys to develop, considering that you have a handful of guys that haven't gotten playing time, like Ryan mentioned beforehand. Romeo Langford is probably at the top of this list in terms of a guy you might have to kind of bring back on, like, I think it's a team option for Romeo, where he's a guy who stepped up defensively, which was not on his scouting report when they when they drafted him, by the way. He's a guy who stepped up significantly on the defensive end, and due to injuries, that was the main reason why we didn't see a lot of him last year. Him, as well as a handful of other guys like Robert Williams, are guys in this category of standing pat and allowing them to develop. And then the next two are targeting a big free agent slash superstar. This is, again, mainly in the form of a sign and trade. The names that have been thrown out are endless. Obviously, some of the main ones that have been thrown out, just to name a few, Damian Lillard, Christos Porzingis. I've seen sign and trade scenarios that do involve a guy like Mike Conley. Um, those are different things that can be uh, addressed. And obviously the last one, the probably the least likely of these options in this case is to blow the team up. So which of these four options do you think is the most viable for the Boston Celtics in this offseason particularly? Um, first and foremost, whoever thinks we need to trade our young players, especially our stars for veterans, uh, definitely is on drugs. Say no to drugs because there's no way we're getting rid of Jalen Brown for any trade package. You're absolutely out of your mind. Second, um, whoever says blow the team up just isn't a fan or doesn't watch the, uh, the Celtics basketball. Simple as that. So it's between two things. You can either trade for a big, big free agent star or free agent, or you can, you know, stand pat and allow your young players to develop. I'll say it's the second one and stand pat and allow your young players to develop, but with a twist, which also like use some of the cap space you have to actually get some of these, you know, bench player guys in the league, especially some free Asian guys, maybe even move some of the younger guys to other teams. Like Ryan was saying, there's guys on the Celtics roster that can definitely get some playing time for other small market teams that you could move some of them, maybe even get some, you know, space in the cap and then find a way to you know actually get your bench production up so i mean but the thing is we need to stand pat because we have a lot of young guys with a lot of potential i mean i'll get into who i think my most improved player is but there's a lot of guys who have improved improved significantly on this roster i mean we're talking about a guy like grant williams who came into the year uh, into the league kind of scared and timid and now he's actually one of the guys we can rely on um, defensively in some regards. I mean, you're looking at Robert Williams, who's been outstanding for us. You're looking at Semi Ojale, who's starting to, you know, trying to be more consistent in the more three and he's a three and D guy for us, but he needs to be more consistent in regarding the defensive side, but he's a, a very solid three point shooter, especially in the corner. So, I mean, there's guys that have developed well. I want to see how Peyton Pritchard and, and Aaron Neesmith develop, but again, there's, it's, it's a difficult situation because we might have to move some of these younger guys who other teams might be feeding for in order to actually boost that bench production. So stay pat, 
we're fine. We're fine. We are fine. It's just a tough situation. Ryan, um, I think that when we discussed this off camera, ironically enough, I think this might have been one of the options that we left out in terms of the two that we had narrowed it down. If I'm not mistaken, I think we actually discussed it as being trade young players for veterans and target big free agents slash superstar as the two that we thought it was narrowed down to. Now, Ian, I will admit openly this had more to do with you guys' roster construction in terms of the amount of guys that you have not playing for your team specifically. This wasn't necessarily about the idea of being against the idea of players developing i think the guys that come to mind specifically probably probably robert williams is probably the main guy that falls into this category of standing pat but some of the other guys that come to mind i think romeo langford like i mentioned earlier might be another one of those guys from a team option standpoint that you might want to bring back and just let develop under the team but again there's a handful of guys that you can let walk away and it might not hurt you carson edwards tremont waters taco fall as much as you just kind of spoke on Simi Ojale, he is a guy who is owed 1.6 against the cap. Is he a guy that actually for 1.6 is actually going to provide for you? Or is that a guy that you can let walk? He's 26 too. I know that that's not on the, the younger side per se in the NBA, but he's a guy that's a part of a, a younger core, so to speak, in terms of a guy you will be letting develop. So that was our thought process when we had the conversation, but I don't necessarily think that your aim for it um, is the same as what we discussed. And from that point, I understand the idea of thinking that might be a little too uh, rip the bandaid off ish in terms of like jumping the gun. Ryan, what do you think out of these out of these four options? Which one do you think is the most viable option for this Boston Celtics team this offseason? According to Ian, his main thought process is Stan Pat and a lot of young players to develop while maybe picking out a smooth little bench piece in the offseason to kind of shirt things up. But where do you stand? So I don't think that this is a situation where you blow the team up because this is a team that has a lot of talent on it where I feel like they have a couple of years before I feel like their championship window closes. So we eliminate that option. I was contemplating the idea of standing pat and allowing the young players to develop. The problem is how many years are you going to wait on these young guys to develop? before you have to make a decision on them. Jalen made a great point about Semi Ojale. How many years are you going to wait for him to continue to develop, considering that he's also owed $1.6 What about other guys like Carson Edwards and Tremont Waters and Taco Fall and Mo Wagner, all these guys that I mentioned before? How many years are you going to wait for them to continue to develop and also not play in a lot of these these crucial games that some of the bigger some of the bigger stars on your team are playing in? And then I would think the other, I would think the main option in this case would be to target a big superstar free agent. I think the only way they can get a big superstar, like Jalen mentioned at the beginning of the episode, without hurting the cap space, is through a sign trade. And I feel like they could do that with guys like Damian Lillard and Kyle Lowry. I also think that they could trade young players for veterans because they have a lot of young players that they could trade for veterans and guys that they can use for the future. They could be part of trade packages like trading for a guy like Damian Lillard or Kyle Lowry in a sense, because I know how much Boston needs a point guard. So I feel like there are really two options that make sense. It's targeting the big superstar or free agent and also trading the young players for veterans. Um, Ian, before I give my uh, take on the option, I did see you have a little bit of a reaction to the point guard scenario that Ryan had stated. More so, I think it was Damian Lillard and Kyle Lowry was the other name that he had mentioned. What is what it, what exactly was that response warranted to? Because I do kind of want to get your take on that. Because I think point guard is huge, 
But um, I think there's specific names that probably come to mind when you think about Boston. Oh, I just don't want Kyle Lowry. That's all it was. Um, okay. I, I genuinely just don't want Kyle Lowry. I want someone who's not necessarily on the – I'm not going to be mean. Let's not do that. Um, on the bigger side, especially weight-wise, okay. um, I'd rather have a guy that can, you know, put up – like scoring and playmaking. So there's a guy I have in mind, but I'll wait until later on. But, yeah, um, if we ever trade for Kyle Lowry, uh, check on me. Makes sense. I'm not necessarily mad at that either because I do feel like in this case, I think that you would have to give up a lot more than what Kyle Lowry might provide in a short term span for Boston. I think that's debatable in the copycat league that is the NBA signing for a veteran all star point guard after seeing what Chris Paul was able to do with Phoenix is going to be something that all the teams around the league are going to be thinking about. I know the team that comes to mind, and we'll probably talk to somebody a lot more in depth about this, is Ryan's favorite team, the New York Knicks. They have more than enough money to work with. And as a young as a young squad with enough money to throw at Mike Conley, Spencer Dinwiddie, um, Kyle Lowry, and so on and so forth, that's going to be one of those teams that I definitely see trying to follow that model. Um, I just doesn't, I don't necessarily think that the Celtics – are one of those teams that need to bite in the copycat-esque uh, format of following what Phoenix did in order to get to the NBA Finals. So I agree with you with the, on that front. I definitely think that maybe Mike Conley might fit a little bit more if you're making a move like that. But again, I I find this team in a sign-and-trade scenario being extremely interesting because I think that this team is looking for the top of the top in a sign-and-trade, or they're not making a move at all. This is still a team that was once upon a time ran by Danny Ainge, and I don't necessarily see this being a team that's going to go from one extreme to the other within one offseason. I thought trading Kimball Walker was already a very welcome-to-the-front-office move by Brad Stevens as it was, and I don't necessarily see him playing 2K very, very much sooner in this NBA offseason that we have, so I don't think they're going to do anything too drastic. Um I think I'm going to uh, disagree with both of you guys to a certain extent. It's not like it's not like extensive, but I think the trade young players for veterans is something that should be kind of higher on their list. I do think that it depends on the circumstances of what you're aiming for, mainly out of the fact that you guys need three point shooting. I think that that's something that's extremely huge. And I think the other thing is that you guys need a true facilitator. And I think that that's going to take looking for certain kind of guys. I know that there's certain guys out there in the mix. There's Derrick Rose that's been mentioned as an offseason guy. I think that um, there's a handful of other guys that I'll probably talk about a little bit more in depth. But um, and from from a free agent standpoint, but I think that the young players that are occupying you guys as roster are simply a cog in a Danny Yane system that is just now finally halted in terms of the system that's been ran for years there's been this idea of accumulating draft picks and watching them not play there's obviously this developmental aspect that you guys have which also is what bred Jalen Brown to once upon a time be you know this most improved player um caliber guy and a guy that was able to sign a max extension Jason Tatum is a guy who's been very elite as of late um but I don't think that you guys can just keep continuing to have guys who are taking their time to establish. This is what happens when you have a team where they hit their, they hit their ceiling so early. 
I feel like is the way I'm looking at it. When you guys reach the Eastern Conference Finals so significantly early in a draft picks tenure, we can look at the same situation with the Dallas Mavericks, right? We're looking at this offseason specifically where it looks like they went blow it up mode almost, at least in terms of the front office by itself, because the superstar is really good. <laughs> superstar is elite. Superstar is the 2K22 cover, by the way, if anybody wasn't paying attention on that as well. So that kind of thing speeds up timelines in terms of a team's address uh, addressing how they are to continue moving forward. I don't know if you guys can continue to harbor young guys on your roster for too long. I think there's particular guys that need to be moved. I don't think that everybody has to be moved. This kind of falls into the blow it up category, and I think that's a little much. But I think that there's a couple guys that you guys can lit walk or move either to create space because the veterans are going to cost a little bit less in terms of the fact that you're not going to have to worry about creating significantly long-term contracts for them. I think the idea is to try to continuously free up space. And the only way that you can free up any kind of cash space in their situation is to trade for guys that are not going to command long-term money. So, um, Ian, before we move away from this topic specifically and get more into free agency, how do you feel about the idea of what I'm talking about in this sense of the idea of trading young players is not necessarily because they did anything wrong or because they're developing too slow, but because of the fact that if you're going to be able to get good sooner rather than later, it's, it all starts with the cap space. And right now you guys don't have very much of that. Yeah, I mean, I get what y'all are saying, but if you look at the recent history and us actually trying to do that, like, I wouldn't be mad with it. Like, we just have to be correct in what we're, like, know who we're going after. Like, look at the past when we've tried to, you know, give away young guys for veteran vet, veteran guys. We Tristan Thompson's still on the team. I have no idea why. Um, Jeff Teague, Ryan just mentioned it. We, for some reason, thought it was great to sign him. He actually had a really good start to the season, fell off completely, and now he's somehow in the finals. I don't even know how that happens. Then there's guys like, oh, I mean, we, we got Jabari Parker this season. I mean, good, but, like, I mean, he's still injury-prone to a, to some extent. I mean, there's also some reliability issues with him. Even in the past, there's times where, like, we've had – we I think we had Jermaine O'Neal at one point, and mm-hmm. he barely did anything for us. So, like, we I've seen this happen where we give away young guys or even give away veteran guys to get younger guys, and it just never worked. So, like, that's why I say we stay packed because this is what we usually do. Like, mm-hmm. And it's and it's actually worked to some extent. I think it's going to be interesting to see how it works this year without Ainge in there. But I I do like the idea of getting veteran guy. Gordon Hayward, another guy, clearly didn't work out. Like it's 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 stuff like that that has happened, and we're like, oh, we get so hype over it. Like let's say this year we trade. Like don't get me wrong, I have some trade packages for young, like some young guys we can get, and like you know some veterans. But let's say we get a guy like I don't know. Um, like like Paul Millsap, right? He's he's one of the guys that's been associated with our name, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say we get him and he just completely falls off or doesn't, you know, like doesn't his mid-range just decides not to work or, you know, like defensively he just decides to just be extremely slow because of his age. And if we gave up guys like Peyton Pritchard and whoever for him, I'm going to be extremely angry. That's all I'm saying. I'm going to be extremely angry. But, again, I mean, it, it works for some teams that hopefully this could be the year that it works in our favor. But just in the past, it just hasn't really worked for us. But yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's a fair statement. If you look at your team's history, that's one of those things. I, went, I Going to PTSD might be a little too far. But 
Um, there's the idea of consistent inconsistency that makes it where when you see a team pull this, I guess, this trigger of making this kind of move and seeing it breed inconsistent play from the guys that you make those trades for, it's one of those things that does make you kind of backtrack and look at the players that you moved and wonder, had we let them develop, could they have been able to be better than what we're getting in return production-wise? So that's understandable. Only reason why I thought about it from that standpoint is, again, for the money creation. This is one of those years where they don't have a million draft picks to work with. That Kimball Walker trade kind of took away their best draft asset in terms of acquiring talent via the draft because the 45th pick is not going to be able to do very much for them in that category. We could be wrong. We've seen diamonds in the rough beforehand, but nonetheless, I don't think there's going to be a guy who's going to get a lot of playing time because we've seen a history of that as well with this team drafting. So um, let's get into that, though, a little bit, talking about the idea of maybe, uh, Ian, looking at your plan of standing pat and allowing young players to develop, but maybe picking up a small guy here and there or somebody maybe just individually that might command that entire mid-level exception. But it's going to be a guy who's going to be able to produce Um, some of the guys that come to mind for me. uh, I've been able to identify guys like TJ McConnell as an interesting one at the point guard position. Um, I've mentioned beforehand, Derek Rose, I think that's a guy who might command a little bit more money. Ryan ran past me the idea of a Reggie Jackson. I think his price tag might've just moved up a little bit past a mid-level, uh, a mid-level, um, exception category. But uh, again, he might want to be in a winning situation or just be in a situation where he can be a starting point guard in, in, in Boston, that might be a potential opportunity um, from a big man standpoint, I've obviously seen the return of Kelly Olenek being something that's been mentioned now. You mentioned Paul Millsap. No. Um, I wouldn't do it either, I, but I'm just saying. I, I wouldn't I'm do it either. Two seconds. If we ever get Kelly Olenek back, I'll cry for years. Yeah. There's, I wouldn't. I personally wouldn't suggest it, but it is a guy that in the big man category has been at the top of people's list in that category. You did mention Paul Millsap beforehand, too, as another guy in that free agency area. Uh, I've seen Josh Richardson as well, a guy who could potentially develop. And the last one that I think Ryan mentioned to me, that would be an interesting project aspect of it. But the question would just be, could he be you guys' point guard? Is the reclamation of Justice Winslow, a guy who I've been really high on, who I think could be productive for Memphis if he sticks around. But with the fact that you've been injured the entire time you've been in Memphis, can they have any kind of faith in signing you long term? Which means that he might be on the open market for a cheap deal like the mid-level exception so with that being the case um ian first off before we get into like ranking any of these guys uh or anybody that you have on the uh, on your own personal list who are some guys that are on your radar did i already kind of name a majority of them are there any that i left out in terms of guys that you would target just like who who's on your personal list as you got as of guys that you think are actually obtainable when keeping in mind that you guys have about 15 to 16 million in total to work with between the mid-level exception and the luxury tax uh, money that's available um there are three guys actually four guys one you already mentioned uh, two you already mentioned two you didn't uh one actually with like paul Millsap. i know i was getting on him a little bit because we don't i don't just don't know how he would fit i think it would actually work fine especially a team that could use some veteran leadership i think it's fine um, number two, uh, I feel like a lot of people are sleeping on Jermichael Green. Um, mm. I feel like he offers a lot to a team, especially a lot of energy and a lot of defense that we do need. He can play a perimeter from uh, in some respects, and he can also play in the paint. I think that's what we need from time to time. 
Um, he can also shoot not well, not as a pure shooter, but he can shoot the three if he's wide open. I'll give him. I'll give him that. Um, I there's these two guys who I would really love on our team. It depends. Well, one we could actually do like because his season with Dallas was just iffy based on where he came from. Uh, Josh Richardson, I would really love on in a Celtics uniform. Um, again, shooting. Hopefully, hopefully he can make up for this the season he had with Dallas. But I mean, a three and D guy is another guy we would need. You want? I mean, let's say we keep Fournier and we get Josh Richardson. That's a dream for me. We're talking about a guy that can sh- one guy that can shoot, not really play defense that well. But, I mean, he can do it. And then you have a guy like Josh Richardson who can both play perimeter defense and shoot the three. That's something the Celtics both need. And also, it allows guys like Tatum and Brown to you know spread the floor. And if they drive and kick, he's right there. Um, and the one, it depends. It depends on one thing. I actually want to see what his market is and what teams are actually willing to pay him. If Spencer Dinwiddie found a way to not want, I don't know how much money he decided, which was like, like north of 150 mil, I'm like, first mm-hmm. of all, don't do drugs. Second, um, if, if he, if teams realize what his market is and if it's at this close to being at where the Celtics are, I would extremely love it. If you look at his stats before Kyrie and KD were all on the same team, he was scoring 21-7-5 and on a nightly basis. You put him in a Celtics uniform where we're talking about shooting, reliable on a defensive end, and could playmake to guys like Brown and Tatum, that's fine with me. I would love it. I would definitely love it. But, again, it depends on his market. We don't know what it is right now because of the injuries. So um, that that's those are the four guys I pretty much love in a Celtics uniform, though. Ryan, I think it's extremely hilarious that Ian brought up the Spencer Dinwiddie thing just because that was at the top of my list when we talked about this stuff off camera. I think that was one of those interesting things where, again, the biggest thing that comes to mind is the market because it's going to be a sign and trade. It's, it, it's got to be because Spencer Dinwiddie is free. The market is going to dictate uh, Spencer Dinwiddie a bit more than Spencer Dinwiddie is going to dictate Spencer Dinwiddie. That's another thing that I think is extremely important in terms of Spencer because he has been on a very interesting tour in terms of discussing his free agency, not only talking about the money that he would like to command, like Ian mentioned, which is north of 150 mil, which I don't think he's actually going to receive unless a certain certain team is willing to go crazy over him. But I also think that despite what he says on Twitter about being the best point guard in the free agents class, I think we all have a fair assumption that he's probably fourth or fifth on the pegging order with interesting guys like Reggie Jackson, who I mentioned earlier, kind of moving up tick as a guy that we've seen on the floor the last year, specifically in the playoffs, stepped up big. And a guy like Lonzo Ball, who's been an extremely high commodity as of late with the fact that he's developed as a three-point shooter post Los Angeles. He's actually being rumored to potentially be retargeted by Los Angeles, but we'll probably talk about that on a different pod at some other at some other point. Ryan, with that being the case, um, is there anybody that we haven't already mentioned in terms of targeting from a free agent standpoint? I have a couple of guys that I I think I might have already mentioned as well as a few other ones that I think would be kind of interesting. But um, who are some guys that you feel like are on your list that you think Boston should focus on maybe going hard after in free agency considering their cap situation? So I think it's interesting that Ian doesn't want Kelly Olynyk on the team, considering that Kelly Olynyk's coming off maybe the best season of his career in what was a great situation in Houston. I know Ian doesn't want Kelly Olynyk in Boston, and I also know that it's a crowded front court, and he, he's another big being added to a mix of guys who are pretty much fighting for playing time in that Boston front court. But he fills a role that Boston hasn't had since he left. Olenek's a pretty solid stretch big, at least for what I saw in Houston. 
And he averaged 19 points a game, 8.4 rebounds, 4.1 assists, also had almost a steal and a half a game. And he's proven that he could shoot the ball and stretch the floor. So I think that's something that could be valuable to have on this team, considering you already have Al Horford, who is a guy that can stretch the floor. Why not add another guy that can stretch the floor? But again, that's the other issue that I brought up with the front court was that you have a bunch of guys that are fighting for playing time. So it's going to be interesting to see if they go with Kelly Olynyk in the in the off season. But I also think that to Ian's point as well, they can also go for a guard. But I feel like they don't need a starting point guard. I think they need people that they need guards that can come off the bench and give them production. Two guys that you haven't mentioned are Patty Mills and Austin Rivers. Patty Mills, who's somebody who I know is 33 years old and and is not on the younger side like a lot of the players. I think he would be the third player on this team that's over 30. This is a guy, Patty Mills, that has championship experience with the San Antonio Spurs, and I feel like can give a lot of scoring to a team that needs a lot of bench scoring. So I feel like that's number one. And then number two, Austin Rivers, who, if you were not paying attention to him when he was with the Denver Nuggets, then you were sleeping on how good this guy was with the Denver Nuggets because he proved that he can not only come off the bench and score a lot of points, but also take over a starting point guard role and win you games and score over 20 points. So I feel like those are two other guys that I think Boston should target. I think TJ McConnell is an interesting one because of the season that he had in Indiana. I don't know if he, he would necessarily be the starting point guard. I think that would be a good bench option, though for the Boston Celtics. The Spencer Dinwiddie one's interesting because I don't know if Boston would pull off a sign-in trade with Brooklyn. I think it would be interesting. I know Jalen and I were talking about this before the episode started, that there would be a chance that they trade Spencer Dinwiddie and a couple of picks for Robert Williams and Grant Williams and Tristan Thompson. So I feel like that, that was an interesting scenario that we threw out before the episode started, but yeah, there's a lot of guys that Boston could target in the offseason. Um, yeah, just to kind of tweak that last point a little bit, the the discussion that we were having off camera had a lot to do with the fact that if they were going to acquire anybody via sign and trade, Ian, they would probably have to move um, guys in the ilk of Robert Williams would always have to be somebody that floats out as a as a sweetener for a deal. I think even the idea of bringing back Romeo Langford on a team option allows them to kind of use those guys as sweetness for the deal. But obviously from a actual trade asset standpoint, the top three trade assets you guys have are Tristan Thompson from a contract standpoint, Al Horford from a contract standpoint, especially from, from matching contracts with guys who are in a signing trade scenario. And then obviously from a commodity standpoint is probably Marcus Smart. So in a trade with Brooklyn, particularly it would probably be a situation that would probably involve Al Horford plus. And obviously it would be Al Horford, probably the 45th pick and potentially another player in terms of what Spencer Dinwiddie signs for to maybe make things line up. I don't necessarily know if Al Horford is necessary to make a trade for Spencer Dinwiddie work. I think you might actually be able to get away with murder and make it Tristan Thompson and get it done that way. But I think that those are the three guys that are at the top of your list in terms of guys that are be that are uh that will be able to be moved. Um I'm gonna just kinda continue off of what Ryan said about TJ McConnell just because that's the guy that I brought up. That's the guy that I've been looking at a lot as a guy that if you guys choose to go with Marcus Smart and you're a little bit devoid of all star caliber talent at the point guard position, the best you can get is the best of both worlds from a positional standpoint via 
your starting point guard in Marcus Smart and the bench guard in TJ McConnell. Uh, TJ McConnell gave um, Indiana a, a career high 8.6 points per game, uh, per game last season, 6.6 assists per game last season, and 1.9 steals per game last season. I think those were huge. He also had career high with um, 3.7 rebounds. That was something that was extremely um, telling to me. Um, not a crazy three-point shooter. I think this is probably where Marcus Smart kind of fills that role a little bit more. He's a guy who didn't even, uh, and talking about TJ, didn't even take a full three a game. He was definitely one of those guys that occupied a lot more around the rim as a finisher. That probably showed in the fact that he he averaged nearly 60% from the floor shooting twos. That's around the rim, mid-range game, and things of that of that nature. So, I think TJ McConnell is probably the main guy from a free agency standpoint. He was a guy who commanded, I think, four million a year the last two years from Indiana. I think that if that's what his market still floats around, if not maybe a smidge higher, you guys have the cap space to be able to occupy a guy like that and not feel like it's necessarily a hindrance on you guys' money situation. Um Ian, with that being the case, though, we named like a bajillion guys, and I'm sure that we can maybe go a little bit deeper, especially if we start going a lot less just point guard and just full-blown positional. From a free agency standpoint, um, give me the top three guys that you would like to see in a Celtics uniform. Obviously, they wouldn't all be on the team at the same time, but the three guys out of everybody that we've named, as well as anybody else who you think would be available uh considering considering the cap situation again as it currently sits who are the top three guys that you would like to pursue this offseason um from a realistic standpoint oh yeah okay so realistic standpoint i mean there's a dream guy one of my my yeah. roster we'll, we'll get to that we're, and we're gonna get to that um i you know like i said number one i mean I, it depends on his market but i genuinely think if it's in a realistic market i would actually love spencer dinwiddie in a celtics uniform um, like I said, you know, number two, Josh Richardson, again, like, you know, three and D wise, I think he could contribute in a, in a significant amount of ways, especially when it, t- when it comes to guard play. Uh, number three, I mean, you can go, with, you can go in a lot of ways. I mean, I did say Jermichael Green, but I don't think he's like a top three guy, you know, necessarily like truly want. Um, I mean, it, it depends. There's a lot of guys you could put in there. Patty Mills is one I would be fine with honestly having, but, um, I think when it comes down to it, I think top three, another one would be Paul Millsap, just based on how he plays. And again, veteran leadership wise, you know, he's a guy that can, again, spread the floor, um, make us less one dimensional shooting wise and even in our uh, front court. So it, 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 he'll, he'll space it out a little bit. Uh, so I, I guess I guess those are my top three. I guess some honorable mentions based on how market-wise goes. I, I would be fine with Lonzo Ball being our point guard for a little bit just to see how that works out. He's a good playmaker, especially with guys like Brown and Tatum. And he, out, he upped his three-point shooting this year, too. That's another thing to note. So, um, yeah, it's, it'll be very interesting. There's a lot of guys you can name, but I think those are just, for me, my top three. Um, Ryan, so do you have a similar top three or you have a top three that's a little bit different? Ian did mention two guys that will require a sign and trade via uh, free agency. I don't know if your list is going to come um, consist of more than that. Obviously, one of those guys that he mentioned in his top three is, was an honorable mention for him. But in your top three, uh, who do you have as some primary targets that would be realistic for them to actually pursue? So I think for me, it would be number one, I think is Patty Mills, somebody who's experienced. He's a veteran, playoff experience, can give you that scoring off the bench. I think number two, I think it's a toss up with uh, Josh Richardson and Austin Rivers because both of them provide something. 
Austin Rivers gives you scoring. Josh Richardson gives you defense. So I think that could be an interesting, that could be interesting if Boston goes after not one, but both of them. And then the third guy for me, it's another toss up. Ian made a lot of great points with Paul Millsap. I think they could also go with a guy like Kelly Olinick. So I think for me, it's a toss up between, it's a toss up between four different guys, but I think that the five guys that I mentioned all could be useful to the Boston Celtics. Okay, so I think with me, I'm going to try to leave um, any guys that require a sign and trade out of my top three just because the math gets a little tricky. I think that I'll phrase it as my honorable mention would be Spencer Dinwiddie as a guy who's like a potential aim from a sign and trade standpoint. But in terms of just strictly being able to sign them, I think the order for me would probably start with TJ McConnell at number one, because I think affordability wise from what we've seen from him the last two seasons with Indiana and from what his money market has been. I think that that's a realistic situation where he could put himself in a Boston Celtics uniform and produce day one as either a starter or coming off the bench, depending on the the future of Marcus Smart. I think number two. I think Ian mentioned it beforehand. I think the, the, the ability to acquire a guy like Josh Richardson, I think that when you talk about a heliocentric offense, I've mentioned this a lot as of late, especially because of the fact that we've been talking a lot about Dallas um, recently. Shout out to Lauren Gunn, who's been on the podcast a, a good amount in the last month or two. We've talked about Dallas a lot. And with their heliocentric offense, along with the fact that Josh was not healthy this year for most of the season, that's a guy that took a big hit to his to his overall statistics, but I don't think he changed as a player. I think the system around him dictated that he wasn't getting the same kind of looks that he was seeing before as a part of um Philadelphia or Miami. I think the other thing was that I think his expectations of who he was supposed to be in Dallas is different from who he was asked to be in Philly or who he was asked to be in Miami. I think in Boston as a in this case, it would be a de facto third, if not for op- fourth option, as opposed to in um in Dallas. I think he was labeled the third option. But I think on some nights, especially from a shot creation standpoint, he was the second guy, which is asking a lot of him. Despite the fact that they had Tim Hardaway, despite the fact that they had KP, I think that Josh Richardson was maybe asked to be a bit more than what his actual role can, is conducive of. And then the third guy, uh, I think it would have to be the guy that Ryan threw. I think Patty Mills is interesting. The thing that gets me with Patty probably is more about timeline than anything um, in terms of his uh, his lineup with some of the other younger guys on the floor. If you keep Robert Williams, if you keep um, guys like Marcus Smart around, and then obviously factoring Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown obviously are on the younger end of things as well. Um, I think that that's all of viable options for guys they can target money-wise by either being able to use, again, their mid-level exception, or obviously there's some veteran minimum stuff that can be thrown out there with these guys. I think Patty Mills is probably the only guy who really falls into that category, but otherwise I think those are all guys that from a money management standpoint are actually all viable targets for the seeds to go after. Um, we've talked about a lot about free agency, and obviously I think that we can probably get even deeper into this. You can literally do an entire podcast episode just on free agency itself, and Ryan, we probably will um, at a later date once things finally start to get uh, bumping around. But uh, let's talk about trade scenarios now. You know, I try to stay away from signing trades um, a lot 
throughout this earlier conversation because of the fact that I knew we were going to get to this point with the trade packages. But now this is kind of like a let it fly portion of the podcast where we can throw out a couple of trade um, scenarios out there. So, um, Ian, we're going to start with you. Uh, name one trade package that you've seen put out there that you believe could be realistic and still improve your team. Um, this one's interesting. Um, I, I like it in some aspects. I don't like it in some other aspects, but I like it for a variety of reasons. Um, the Celtics in this trade package would give away Tristan Thompson, Aaron Neesmith, Peyton Pritchard, and a 2023 first-round draft pick for Miles Turner from the Pacers. I would genuinely like this. Granted, do we give up a lot? Yeah, but, I mean, we're talking about a guy like Miles Turner who I, I think should have been in the running for defensive player of the year. He's a deep, one, one, He should be a deep point candidate year-round. On top of that, he can also shoot the three. Not very much so consistently, but he can shoot it. We're also talking about a guy that, like Ryan said, can space out the floor. The one reason why I don't want Kelly Olenek is because his defense is highly suspect. He's also playing in Houston. Anyway, mm-hmm. um. But, yeah, I mean, I would love a guy like Miles Turner, especially in a team like us that needs to space out the floor. We don't have bigs that can genuinely shoot very well. We have Luke Cornett, but, like, he's not going to be a guy that catapults us to a different level. Like, no. Like, he's 7'2 and can shoot, but, again, that's that's probably the main reason why I don't want Kelly Olenek, Ryan, because we're going to have two Kelly Olenek's with, with Luke Cornett and Kelly Olenek. What, like, we don't need that. We don't. We genuinely don't. Um, but, but yeah, I would I would love that trade package because like it, I think it kind of satisfies what we've all been saying. We keep some young guys on the squad, but get rid of some other young players to 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 the Pacers who could actually get some playing time. But in regard, but you know, in return, we actually get a guy that can catapult us to a, def- a different level, both offensively and defensively. So I, I would it happen? No, I think the Pacers like Miles Turner too much, but um, it is giving up a lot. I would personally like it. So, Ryan, I'm going to bounce to you and bounce back real quick before I actually get your trade scenario. So I want you to respond to the Kelly Olenek part of this trade package, specifically in terms of the idea of tackling a guy like Miles Turner, because my thing about Kelly Olenek, I think that's going to be so interesting, is if you were to go after and acquire a guy like this, do you feel like that is still on the table if Miles Turner were to be acquired? That would be my question to you. Do you feel as though Kelly Olynyk would still be in your top three if you knew in the back of your mind you're an agent that works with Miles Turner and you are aware that a Celtics trade package is on the table and say all he had to be all that had to come down to you was you knowing that it was going to be cleared in the back of your mind? Would you as a Celtics GM? pursue Kelly Olenek knowing that Miles Turner would also be potentially on your roster? I would say yes and no. No, because Miles Turner is a reliable big and he's proven that in Indiana. Yes, because I feel like the Celtics still kind of need a stretch big. So I feel like it's really tough in that situation because I would argue if I had to pick Luke Cornett or Kelly Olenek, I would say Kelly Olenek because he was more consistent this season. He also had career best in points per game, assists per game, rebounds per game, three-point shooting. This is a guy who is a proven veteran now, and I feel like now that he's kind of proven himself in Houston that he can be a guy that is reliable, I feel like they can take a chance on him. But ultimately, if I'd rather pick a guy like Miles Turner or Kelly Olenek, I would take Miles Turner. Yeah, so I think that was the main thing that I wanted to kind of identify because obviously the biggest thing is in these situations, 
if you are going to have a guy on your quote unquote big board of free agency, you have to also understand what kind of trade packages you have in mind because you have to think about the way guys fit. Personally, Ryan, I think I understand where you're coming from, from the idea of it being quote unquote difficult, because again, Luke Cornett is another guy who you don't, you're going to have to worry about from a team option standpoint, Ian, where you have a little bit more control over his, over his, uh, his acquisition as opposed to Kelly Olenek. There are suitors and things like that that you're going to have to work with in terms of his money. That's why I think it would be more realistic. If you're going to have two Kelly Olenek's, as Ian said, that obviously the easier one to acquire would be Luke Cornett as opposed to letting Luke Cornett walk and trying to acquire Kelly Olenek. That's a little bit harder. So that's why I wanted your take on that. Ian, the reason why I wanted to come back to you is because the Miles Turner thing is something that's been brought up very frequently over like like the last two years, I think is probably, especially because Gordon Hayward was the first trade ship that was associated with a Miles Turner trade. And I think Miles Turner has been brought up prior to that in terms of you guys being able to get center help. Um, but I want to trade from you that is not center oriented because we've had a conversation about Boston very, very frequently throughout this season and have the understanding that they um, they need more help in the middle. Well, I've also seen your face throughout this podcast as we discuss your current roster, and that involves a Moses Brown, an Al Horford, a Robert Williams. Grant plays the four, plays the three in certain aspects as well. It gets a little dicey, as you can see what I, you, you see where I'm going with this. So from a front court standpoint, you're pretty solid, despite the fact that you're not exactly sure who actually is making this rotation from a starter and a bench um, production standpoint, you're not exactly what the rotation looks like with this many bigs. I forgot to mention Tristan Thompson, who obviously is a four five for you guys as well. What is a guard related trade that you would be keeping your eye on on or would prefer in this situation? Again, it's still in the realistic um, standpoint. We'll get to outlandish stuff in a little bit in terms of guys that might be on the superstar level to target. But in terms of a realistic guard trade, who is somebody that you would like to acquire? Um, again, like I would very much so like Lonzo in a, in a Celtics uniform. I think that would work well, but that's not the one I kind of got on my notes or the ones I've been tracking. Um, there's been some interesting talk behind some guy on the Bucks. We haven't seen him too much. Um, but I saw a trade package that could very much so work and it would be the Celtics give up Aaron Neesmith again, Carson Edwards and a 2023 second round pick for Dante DiVincenzo. And I would very much so like that as a Celtics fan, especially because we need, well, I don't know if one, we probably would have him on the bench for a little bit, but honestly he could catapult himself into a starting position based on how Marcus Smart plays. That's just depending on that minutes wise. But you're talking about a guy that again, three and D who can shoot the ball. Well, we need perimeter defense. He does that on both ends of the floor. I think that a guy like Dante DiVincenzo, and that's a realistic trade when you actually think about it, especially when we need to move some young guys that gets rid of that's one thing and then on top of that we get a guy like DiVincenzo who has finally finally established himself as a guy that you have to respect on both ends of the floor I think he works well in the Celtics uniform especially like a guy like Udoka who is now our head coach who works well with young guys and guys on the defensive side I think that's a match made in heaven right there but again the only reason this wouldn't work is because the Bucks fandom and their front office loves DiVincenzo too much to honestly even get rid of him but again it is realistic so I think that's so interesting because that's like an under the radar name that has so much impact. You've heard Dante DiVincenzo's name so much more throughout this playoffs than I think you actually heard when he was playing, which yeah. is really interesting because of the fact that people talk about 
his overall tenacity on the floor, his production as a guy who comes off the bench and to a certain extent was starting for them here and there. As a guy who plays extremely hard on the defensive end, I wouldn't say he's a crazy facilitator. That's one of the things I think probably would hurt you guys from point guard standpoint. I think that's maybe where Marcus would beat him out if we're talking about a depth chart. Um, but I think Dante gives you a lot of really interesting things. And based on the trade that you mentioned, it also addresses something for the Bucks that a lot of people have brought up very specifically throughout these last two rounds, which is their lack of depth past their first six. Um, They go about six to seven deep and they only go deeper into their bag because they're blowing teams out during the regular season. But in terms of their actual postseason success, they tend to struggle specifically in the backcourt more than anything with having guys they can turn to after Drew Holiday steps off the floor, after Chris Middleton, those two specifically step off the floor because that's where you lean to Bryn Forbes, for example, as a guy who ends up playing a lot more minutes and is a defensive liability. Uh, Pat Connaughton is another guy who gives him a lot three-point shooting-wise, but he doesn't create. There's not very much that he does facilitating uh, as, a facil- as a facilitator. And really, that's where things get dicey. That's where things get very interesting for the Bucks. So I think that that's an interestingly underrated trade that, could be something to keep in mind, but like you mentioned beforehand, the Bucks brass is where things get very interesting about whether or not Dante's even on that kind of block. So Ryan, um, I pose the same same kind of um option to you. Is there a trade uh that's realistic within you guys' money situation that you within the Boston Celtics money situation that you have seen, maybe have created an NBA tri- trade finder yourself that um is realistic and also provides an uptick in talent or productivity for the Boston Celtics. So I found this on FanSided, and this is a this is an interesting trade. I have Marcus Smart, Tristan Thompson, a 2021 second round pick, and a 2023 first round lottery protected pick to Chicago for Kobe White, Thaddeus Young, and Thomas Saransky. So I think this is interesting for a couple of reasons. One. I think Boston gets a point guard for the future. I know Kobe White is entering his, I believe, third year in the NBA, mm-hmm. and he's not a guy that I would rely on to be a first option, but he's a, he's a guy that I would rely on to be a second or a third option, which is, which is something that Boston needs in terms of what they're asking for, for their point guard. Last season, he averaged uh, 15.1 points per game and 4.8 assists. And then you also get guys like Thaddeus Young and, uh, Thomas Saransky, who are both solid players. Thaddeus Young is a solid two-way power forward. And also Thomas Thomas Saransky has that playmaking ability in him while also providing a three-point shot. I think for for the Chicago Bulls, I would look at it like this. You're getting Tristan Thompson and you're losing Daniel Tice. And Daniel Tice was a guy that was a guy that was a solid defensive guy or was a solid defensive player for the Boston Celtics, but he really has not panned out to be the defensive player that they, that Chicago needed coming off the bench to provide that assistance for when Vucevic would come off. So I think it would be interesting. Also just thinking about the pairing of Marcus Smart and Zach Levine. I think Marcus Smart provides something defensively that Zach Levine doesn't have. And Marcus Smart is a guy that can be a viable third option for this team, considering that Zach is the first option, Nikola Vucevic is the second option. You really just need Marcus's defensive ability more than his offensive ability, which is why I think this trade works. And so, Ian, we're we're going to go 
uh, 1v1 for a second in terms of this conversation just because our two teams are involved. So um, I told Ryan that I would want to do this straight in a heartbeat because of the ability for my team to upgrade in significant spots need-based quickly. I think obviously the big one that stands out is Marcus Smart at point guard. That's one of the bigger things that when you talk about his ability to shoot the three ball, play defense at a high level next to Zach Levine. Zach Levine is a guy who's high effort on defense, but we're not going to call him an all NBA caliber defender by any means. And then the other thing is, I actually think that we have a better use for Tristan Thompson than you guys do. I think that the fact that we have Nikola Vucevic specifically, um, the, uh, and more specifically because of the fact that we got rid of Daniel Gafford, who's with Washington now and is playing at a very high level. I think that we get another big rebounder and a guy who can actually float around the basket and be a defensive big next to a Nikola Vucevic, who we saw with the Orlando Magic and we saw for the brief time um, this past season with the Bulls is not going to be somebody you want to have as an anchor inside big defensively for your team. So I think that being able to have Nikola Vucevic as a primary four option on defense is going to be something that would help and moving Tristan Thompson to the five is huge. But we talked heavily about what it benefits for the Bulls. Uh, Ryan, can you read the trade out one more time? Ian, I want to get your perspective on what you feel like the benefit is for Boston, though. So the trade that I mentioned from Fanside was Marcus Smart, Tristan Thompson, a 2021 second round pick, and a 2023 first round lottery protected pick to Chicago for Kobe White, Thaddeus Young, and Thomas Saransky. Um. Okay, so this I think this is a good point to say as a Celtics fan. Um, Celtics fans, we there's two guys we we very much so like. Obviously, there's Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. But if there's a guy that basically solidifies being a Boston Celtic, it's Marcus Smart. So any fan would be angry, including me, if we got rid of him, especially not for a guy that is close to a superstar. I like Kobe White. I think he would benefit benefit us in many ways. But then there's the then there's we, we talked about it before. We have too many young point guards. But why do we, why do we need Tom, Tom uh, Sadaraski at that point? I mean, we have to get rid of more younger guys. That that would be fine because you would have to get give give out more of the young guys and get more veteran guys to get Sadaraski in there. But because we're not, why do we need another guard to add into that rotation? It actually makes it kind of worse for our roster, especially minutes wise, especially for a first year coach. It makes it worse. Mm-hmm. Um. I honestly think the only positive is we get rid of Tristan Thompson and we get Kobe White. I don't like the idea of us giving up a first for that, too. I just personally don't. Um, I don't think Kobe White's worth a first, especially if it's in that trade anyway. But, um, yeah, again, as a Celtics fan, and if you look at Celtics, I mean, you probably don't look at Celtics Twitter, but because I see it every day, um, everybody who has seen anything regarding Marcus Smart in the trade that's not a big caliber guy is angry at you. So good thing you didn't say that on in Celtics Twitter because I already know I'm toxic. That's that I don't want you to get. I like you, Ryan. I don't want them to. Get, I don't want them to attack you for that. And the reason why I brought that up to you, honestly, is just out of the mere fact that I think that's the name that tilts the scales. I think that's the name that tends to move the the needle for a team in terms of making the decision. And knowing that Kobe White is probably the, uh, I guess, the icing on this cake in terms of the trade from a Boston standpoint, I don't think it's necessarily enough. I personally like the trade because, again, again, all of the personal benefits from a 
from a starting five standpoint for this team, especially specifically with the fact that we lack a point guard. One of the bigger names that comes to mind for me that I want to tackle in free agency is potentially freeing up space to go after a Spencer Dinwiddie, go after a Lonzo Ball, two guys that if we can let Laurie Markkinen walk away as well as a few other things fall in our favor in terms of re-signing Zach Levine to a uh, uh to a friendly way of doing the max extension, could actually free up some space to uh, go after these guys. If we could handle it via trade as opposed to having to do a lot of capology, <laughs> I think that this, this would be extremely beneficial. And, of course, like I said beforehand, with Daniel Gafford going um out the door and the fact that we moved Wendell Carter, that center position, being able to acquire like a guy like Tristan Thompson benefits us. Again, the Boston Celtics aspect of it is where things get a little dicey. I think Thomas Sadoransky at the one is actually the most beneficial day one uh, uh, producer for you guys in this trade with a guy like Kobe White, specifically with the coach you guys have being a developmental guy, something that Ryan had mentioned to me um, off the pod would be beneficial to having a guy like Kobe come off the bench for a team that's more ready to win and more um, established identity wise like Boston is as opposed to Chicago that's still figuring things out that's why I think the trade was proposed and I think that's why it's such an interesting idea but again I that that name Marcus Smart is really 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 interesting when you throw out any trade scenario um Ryan again um not gonna hold you off to the corner but um again I'm gonna go one one-on-one with Ian real quick because what he said about Marcus is there's three trades that I found specifically on sportsnot.com. Um, Ian, I sent these to you a little bit earlier and I kind of want to discuss them a little bit more on the pod. Um, but all three trades involve your guy, Marcus Smart. But the catch is these are guys who are considered to be in that all-star caliber range in terms of trying to make acquisitions. So we're going to go through the three, Ryan, in between every single trade. I do want to still make sure that I'm getting your input on them because I think that all of these trades, depending on if you're a fan of the team or simply a bystander that watches the team, could warrant a different response. So, Ian, the first one that we're going to discuss is a trade that involves trying to tackle the power forward position, still in the big category, but I think there's enough moving parts here that might make things work. Talking about Pascal Siakam, all three of these trades are kind of in the bigs range. I will preface my comments now by saying that we will be tackling power forward in, I think, all four of these, I mean, all three of these trade scenarios, but this is the one that I think is the most interesting. Um, a trade package for Pascal and Siakam from SportsNot pr- proposes that um, you would be sending Trist- Tristan Thompson, Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, Aaron Neesmith, and two future first to Toronto, a team that is in a very interesting flux right now, specifically with the fact that I think Masai Ujiri is still not re-signed and still has not made a decision at the front office position. That is something that I haven't seen very much news about. And obviously the big name floated out there is Kyle Lowry as being a guy who's a free agent and might potentially be walking or be involved in a sign-and-trade scenario. So this is a team that needs interesting talent and other trade pieces i assume that this is why they would move a guy like pascal siakam who they might have paid big money a little too early depending on how you view his past season how do you feel about this trade scenario from what you have to give up as uh in conjunction with who you're acquiring say say the trade one more time so the trade scenario is it's pretty much Pascal Siakam only from the Raptors, but the, the, the trade package involves the Celtics sending Tristan Thompson, Marcus Smart, 
Robert Williams, Aaron Neesmith, and two future first-round picks to the Raptors. Yeah, no, I'm not doing that. Um, again, it would. I feel like we're giving a little bit too much. I know. Okay, this is just me personally. I feel like uh, Pascal. I mean, I like Pascal Siakam. I just don't. Mm-hmm. There's, there's times where he's been incredibly great, especially when the Raptors, you know, have made it to the finals and all that. That's where basically where the spicy P all that came from. But mm-hmm. then, uh, if you look at him this year, he wasn't all too great, honestly. I mean, he, his three, especially we we were talking about a guy saying two years ago he can shoot the three somewhat well he shot 29 percent this year we need we need shooting this year that's not going to help us in any regard i mean hopefully he can make it better but that's not going to help us in any regard i mean his numbers were kind of down from last year i think we also give up too much and if for a team like us if we actually give up marcus smart for a guy like spicy p just to do the same spin move every time down the lane we're all going to raise hell. Simple as that. Um, I personally wouldn't do it. I, I don't think he, I, I mean, I like Pascal Siakam. I just don't think he's as good as people say he is, just based on what I've seen on, granted, I like him defensively, but offensively, I mean, I mean, you need more in your bag. Simple as that, especially if you want to play for a team like the Celtics. And the last thing I will say in that scenario, um, I think it will be very weird to see how that plays out with Al Horford, who we just traded for. Basically, he played the same mm-hmm. position. So mm-hmm. I would, that would be very interesting. I don't think that would work. But, yeah. Okay. Ryan, um, do you have any response to that? Um, I have two other trades that I'm going to bring up to you, but I'm actually not going to read them all out. I'm going to let you choose which of the two players you would be more fascinated to trade for. But, Ryan, I want to get your thoughts on Pascal Siakam first. So I like Pascal the player, but like Ian said, this season he was not as good as his all-star season the year before. But I think Pascal, the player, I don't think that he's worth all of that because let's keep in mind, and I'm going to make this this point right now instead of making this after the third trade. I feel like any Celtics trade for any top player has to involve Marcus Smart because Mm -hmm. it's very tough for it not to involve Marcus Smart. Who is a valuable trade asset outside of Marcus Smart? Maybe Tristan Thompson. Robert Williams with a lot of upside, I think that definitely will be intriguing to a lot of teams. But other than that, they don't have a lot that would sweeten the deal, so to say. So I think Marcus Smart is the guy that would sweeten the deal. And I hate to say this to Celtics fans, but if you have to trade somebody, it has to be Marcus Smart. And and he can, and this is a guy that Celtics fans do not want to lose because he's been with this team since 2014. He's been one of the mainstays of this Celtics team. So, I feel like it's going to be very tough for Celtics fans to be happy at a trade that involves Marcus Smart, but it has to be for the right price. So, um, and I, I mentioned that at the beginning before we got to these trades that I that Marcus Smart is involved in all three of these trades. Like Ryan said beforehand, and he kind of articulated it a lot further, was just that, I mean, literally, he's needed to make any of these trades. Like if there's anything that you take away from what Ryan said, it's that if Boston's going to make any trade of any kind that requires somebody that's going to really push this team in a in a, a significant rate, it's gonna be uh Marcus Smart uh required as collateral. So um Ian, I'm gonna name the last two guys. I'm not gonna read out the trade scenarios because um because you know, I don't want to do both of them. I'm gonna give you the option. The two guys that are left in this um in these trade options is uh Miles Turner's teammate, DeMontis Sabonis, or I don't know if you're actually gonna like this one very much, but I still feel like it's relatively interesting. Christoph Porzingis. 
So which trade would you like to take a look at? Um, wow. Um, the only one, honestly, depending depending on who we're giving up and depending if it's just Sabonis. I would do it for Sabonis, actually. Um, okay. A guy who's actually um, solidified on you know both ends of the floor, defensively and offensively. I think it's just you're in a system with the Pacers who they don't really know what they're doing coaching-wise. Honestly, Rick Carlisle's there now. It's going to be interesting with him there, but I personally think they're going to have the same, basically, offense in that that he ran in Dallas, and I don't know if that's going to work with you don't have a Luca there, basically, mm-hmm. so it's going to be interesting. But I would do it for Sabonis. Why? I mean, he's a guy that, you know, is a double-double machine. He's a guy that, you know, big man-wise, he can stretch the floor, which we need. And then on top of that, I mean, you could move Al Horford to either a center. You can flip-flop it. You can either put Sabonis at center or put him at the four, but I personally have him at the four. Al Horford at the center, and it would work because you have two guys who can shoot the three efficiently, which also gives guys like Brown and Tatum to, you know, drive and kick or even get to their spots. I would like it. Um, absolutely not for Kristaps Porzingis. I don't want to take on that contract whatsoever, one. Two, he's injury prone. I, I mean, granted, he scores 20 a game, like, consistently. That's good. But, like, when was the last time? I, don't, I actually don't remember the last time I saw Sabonis injured for that good amount of time or even injured in spurts where you actually need him. He's more reliable than Kristaps. Um also, on the defensive end, sometimes he's just there. Simple as that. He's just there. Like, sure, he's, what, 7-1, seven, 7-2, seven, somewhere along that range, but sometimes he's just there, you know? And I, we need guys that aren't there. We need them to be an impact player. Um, especially if, it's, if, if Marcus Smart is involved in that trade, a guy who's basically our whole energy offensively and defense, not offensive, well, more so defensively, and we give that away for Kristaps, our defense would be dead, basically. Simple as that. So, no, I would I would for Sabonis, but it depends on who we give up. So the trade specifically is Sabonis and Justin Holiday for Marcus Smart, Carson Edwards, Robert Williams, and a first-rounder. Yeah, I would actually do that. I would actually do that. Yeah. Interestingly enough, I would. So, Ryan, as opposed to reacting to the trade itself, because I think that Ian kind of articulated what a guy like DeMontis Sabonis would do for this team. Let's get more specific in terms of these three guys. If you had to rank these three guys in order from a trade package scenario, how would you rank the three? Again, the three are Pascal Siakam, DeMontis Sabonis, and Christos Porzingis. In terms of if you were a Boston Celtics front uh, um, front office person and these are the three guys presented to you, what would your three-person big board look like? So my three-person big board would look like this. I would say number one is DeMontis Sabonis. Number two, I would say number two is Chris Asporzingis. And number three is Pascal Siakam. I think that Sabonis has proven a lot in the NBA. He is a double-double machine. And at one point this season, he was a dark horse for the MVP. So I do think that there is a lot to like with DeMontis Sabonis. If you're a Boston Celtics fan, I think that Brad Stevens might like this trade because you're getting a guy who not only is a double-double machine, but also can stay healthy and be consistent, which is something that there are issues with the other two guys, Chris Esforzingas and Pascal Siakam. So there's more consistency with DeMontis Sabonis, and you get a lot out of him as well. Um, personally, my big board would probably be DeMontis Sabonis one as well. I would actually put Pascal at two, Kristaps at three. I think Kristaps' uh, contract, as Ian mentioned beforehand, is one of those that's looking worse and worse with the fact that 
He's a guy who is also coming with a bit of an attitude problem as a guy who expects to be a lead role guy. And for the Celtics, he's probably third on the totem pole at best. I think the other, the other thing that moves the needle for me, if you're doing the Pascal versus Christos Porzingis um, debate, I think it's the fact that we've also seen Pascal as a third option next to two perimeter players. I think that's probably the biggest thing as well. We, we're not going to call Kyle, Kyle Lowry some some, some type of assisting maestro by any means either and um obviously Kawhi Leonard is one of those guys that's not a significant playmaker in terms of for his teammates I think that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum both have a bag so to speak that's a little bit more open from a facilitating standpoint than the grouping of those two being Kyle Lowry and Kawhi so I think if you actually give Pascal two guys who are a lot more open to facilitating while also being able to create their own shot and then know that Pascal is used to being a third option that can put up about 15 to 18 a game and can do what he does defensively as another long rangy wing, which obviously the Celtics are in love with, which is why we've seen so much of them come through the draft for the Celtics. I think acquiring a guy like Pascal Siakam, I would argue him for number one, but I think that Ian's point about DeMontis Sabonis fit next to Al Horford, a guy who I think is going to be on this team for the season. I think maybe Al Horford might get moved at the trade deadline, but unless something crazy happens this offseason, I don't think that Al Horford will be moved prior to that trade deadline. So in terms of a fit standpoint, I think if you were tackling these three, DeMontis Sabonis is fit next to Al Horford. And long-term, if you were to move, Al Horford makes it where he's a guy who's versatile enough to play the four or the five. And if Al is moved, he can still support that area. And if the Al isn't moved, Again, the interchangeability is like pretty flawless in a standpoint where, it, I mean, pretty work, pretty much works for Boston all the way around. Um, so I think that this is overall interesting. Um, the 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 realistic trades are always ones that can raise an eyebrow because you'll think of guys that you won't necessarily pay very much attention to in the grand scheme of a season. But in a roster construction standpoint, they're guys that might actually be better for your team than you realize. Um, moving away from being realistic for a second and maybe stepping into a little bit more of like a fantasy land thing, which is what we love to which what we love to do. And I think we're going to enjoy doing throughout the year, um, throughout the offseason, talking to fans about their team is focusing on more outlandish superstar related trades. Now, Ian, when I open this floor up to you. Obviously, guys who come in mind that can't be involved in these conversations are, let's say, Stephen Curry, LeBron James, Anthony Davis. Guys of that ilk are obviously not going to be involved in this kind of conversation because we have to think of it can be outlandish, but it still has to make sense to a certain degree in terms of their availability. So with that being the case, I'm going to open the floor up to you. Who is a guy that is in the superstar category that you feel like you could legit you you feel like your organization can make a legit run at? <laughs> oh man, see, see, look, here's my dream. This is, this would be my dream if we could get him. Um, whew. Okay, so um, I love elite point guards. I'm a big elite point guard fan. Uh, Steph Curry is my favorite point guard, actually player of all time. This first and foremost, for those of you who didn't know, um. There is a guy who has been in talks with not well in rumors with us and just on NBA Twitter and all that. If we found a way to get Damian Lillard, I'd be the most obnoxious 
person on the planet. I'm talking, I'm, I'm talking with Jalen and Ryan in our group chat every day. I'm like, by the way, we have Damian Lillard. I'm going on Twitter. This is day two of letting y'all know we have Damian Lillard. The next day, this is day three. You catch my drift. If we found a way to get Damian Lillard, I'm telling you right now, you might have to put me in a mental ward because that's probably the only thing I will be talking about on a daily basis. No other sentence would come out of my mouth, but Damian Lillard is a Boston Celtic. Do you know how great it would be if, especially because, well, first off, Lakers Twitter just wants everybody anyway. That's just always how they are. Seriously. Do you know how, especially because they want Damian Lillard. If you mm-hmm. talk about guys that the Lakers want, they want Damian Lillard. Mm-hmm. Um, but, oh, my goodness, you're talking about a, if we found a way to steal them from L.A., you want to talk about how bitter Lakers Twitter would be for a while that they have to go against Lillard, Brown, and Tatum on a consecutive basis. And then on top of that, he's already has good rapport with Udoka and Team USA. I mean, they already have a good rapport in that regard. My goodness, that would be my fantasy. That would be my dream. I'm telling you, I would be the most obnoxious. I might even text everybody in my phone individually People I might haven't even talked to for probably 10 years saying Damian Lillard is a Boston Celtic. That's how much I want him on this roster and on this team. You're talking about a guy. I know I'm not rambling, but you're talking about a guy that can help young guards on this team with the veteran leadership he has. I don't care if he's turning 31, 32, whatever age it is. You're talking about a guy like that could need help like Romeo Langford, Trey Waters. Oh, my goodness. I could get Peyton Pritchard. You're talking about a guy. Oh, son. Son, when I tell you, if we ever get Damian Lillard, no one will hear the end of me until something wrong goes on. I could be in the hospital trying to get a transplant, and I will still find a way to let everybody on the planet know that we have had Damian Lillard as a Boston Celtic. I could be in the middle of surgery. They they could they they wouldn't even be able to take me out with the whatever it is the anesthesia or whatever whatever it is. I'm telling you, I will find a way to let everybody on the planet know that we have Damian Lillard as a boss. I think it's clear what my answer is, but yeah, I want Damian Lillard. So Ryan, before I move on to you real quick, Ian, you I I know we're talking about on unrealistic outlandish superstar trades, but do you genuinely believe you would be able to get away with moving, um? nobody that's named Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown to get Damian Lillard? Oh, no, no, uh, no. But I, I genuinely, I just want him. I, I do, I think. Because I believe that you guys can target Damian Lillard, but I think you would have to involve Jalen Brown we, in the trade. We, we would have to involve Jalen Brown, and I'm very torn with what I want to do with that. But uh, That's what I was going to ask you, was yeah. if if you knew that that trade was on the table and you had to hit the red button on the trade, but you knew that Jalen Brown was the headliner of it, as a Celtics fan, are you pushing that trade through? Yeah, I don't know. I can't even answer that question right now. I genuinely can't because I, I love Jalen Brown. He improves every year. I mean, I honestly think if you put him in a Blazers uniform, he'll probably go for 30 a night just because, I mean, he already averages 24 with the superstar next to him. You know what I mean? What what happens if you get him his own team? But, um, no, we'd have to add a guy like Brown in there. And I'm sorry, like some Celtics fans are delusional. There's no way Dame's going to us if we – like I would give up Marcus Martin a heartbeat and a whole bunch of other guys for Dame, but the Portland Trailblazers would probably not do that. That was once their franchise guy, right? So, uh, 
no, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would give up Brown, but there, there's times where I wake up and I'm like, I would. And then there's times like, nah, but he's too good, you know, and especially his chemistry with Tatum is incredible, especially based on the way those guys play. So I, I don't know. But, yeah, I can't answer that right now. I wish I could, but I cannot. Okay, so Ryan, um, either you can stick with this trade if you'd like to, or if the if if and basically if you're sticking with this trade, would you do it or would you not do it? Or is there another superstar that you can come up with? Try to keep it to one because obviously we can list off a handful of superstars who might be a smidge disgruntled, but try to keep it at one if you can. So the question is, how do we get Damian Lillard to Boston? Mm-hmm. There's really only one way because I think Damian Lillard is the only viable player that Boston wants to target in this free agency. I'll also, I would say not not just free agency, but also in a trade scenario. Look, I think Damian Lillard is the perfect point guard for Boston, and he is an elite point guard. And like Ian mentioned, he played with uh, Udoka, or he he was was working with Udoka and Team USA. So I think that's that's pretty much a gateway to Boston. How you get him there is the real question. I feel like there's a scenario where you can pull off a trade where you don't lose Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. But I think it would have to involve one or two other teams. I know Jalen and I were talking before the episode started that there was a chance that Marcus Smart could be involved with a trade to Dallas in this scenario. But the interesting thing with what Ian mentioned with Jalen Brown and the only possible way that he will leave is that Jalen Brown gets his own team in Portland, and also Portland doesn't get Damian Lillard, and they also don't have C.J. McCollum, which means Jalen Brown could be the sole star on that team. And if he's averaging 24 points a game now with Jason Tatum, what's he going to do with Portland? I think he's going to go crazy. He'll probably average 30 points a game at one point. So I feel like there's a chance that Jalen Brown gets to Portland, but I feel like there's a, there's other options where if you involve another team, it could be a win-win for Boston because you don't lose Jason Tatum and you don't lose Jalen Brown, but you gain Damian Lillard. I think that's an interesting scenario to bring up the idea of a third team. I think that's one of those things that always gets lost in the fray with these trade packages is that you forget that it can get kind of crazy and really wacky quick if you really allow it. You just got to be on the phone long enough. Um so I think that is an interesting way to look at it. Obviously, if they can get away with it by keeping Jalen Brown on the roster and involving guys like Al Horford, um, Tristan Thompson, and Marcus Smart with draft picks as their main leads to get through to a trade like this amongst two or three other teams, I think it would be an ideal scenario. I think the only thing is obviously who's involved and how, again, I mentioned it beforehand that I do uh, or Ryan mentioned it for me that there was something I saw that involved Dallas being in the mix and it would involve a movement that has Christos Porzingis end up in Portland and Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart ends up in Dallas and there's like a lot of other stuff that gets thrown in the mix. Um, so that is an interesting way to look at. It. I do think if you could get away with that, it would be really interesting to pull off and the fit. Lord. Um, yeah, that would be nuts because the idea of needing to play defense would be thrown out the window and you would still have two guys who can play relatively uh, strong defense on the wings, which to know that you would have that in your back pocket would be insane. Um, Ryan, when we look at these scenarios, I have to go with you on this one. And I'm going to lean with both of you guys by saying that the one outlandish guy that comes to mind 
probably is Dame. I thought the Kristoff thing would have been interesting maybe a season ago, but everything that's going on with you guys' front court being the Celtics' front court right now makes it where I don't necessarily know how I feel about Kristoff right now. Um, DeMontis is super interesting. We've discussed that one already, and I think he would be a crazy interesting fit, but man, I just don't, I, I don't, does Celtics brass love Marcus Smart more than they love the idea of up court, uh, uh, upgrading their front court? That would be the question. That would be the question that has to hit. And I think only they can answer that question, unfortunately. Um, so I think that that's a lot of interesting things that come around that, but I do think from an outlandish superstar standpoint, I think Dame is that guy. I, I'm sure his name will be thrown out pretty frequently, like throughout this series, but I'm hoping that some free agent names get thrown out as we go throughout this series, depending on what teams have money. Um, but I think this is a very interesting way to go through things. Um, if we're, uh, we're starting to slowly get into the wrap up stage of this podcast. So, uh, guys, we're going to go rapid fire. Ryan, I'm actually going to start with you this go around. Who do you believe is the most underrated player on this team? It's Peyton Pritchard, and he had a lot of upside coming into this coming into this season, considering that he was slated to be a second-round pick, Jalen, and we were thinking that he was going to go in the late second round. Turns out that Boston liked him and picked him at pick 26. I think it's very interesting to see what Peyton Pritchard does going forward, but he had a pretty good rookie season, even getting some starts at point guard. Ian, who do you think is the most improved player on your team this season? I like that. I like uh, Peyton Pritchard. I think he's going to be good for us in the future. But I think I personally think the clear answer is Robert Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think people know this, and I only know this because he's on my team. But um, if you look at the top ten um, player efficiency rating leaders for the 2020-21 season, no one knows that uh, Robert Williams is literally in the top ten. At one point, he was at number five. He's actually ended at number nine. He's in the likes of Nico Jokic, Joel Embiid. Giannis, Zion, Jimmy Butler, KD, Steph Curry, Kawhi, and then there's Robert Williams in there. You want to talk about elite company and then Damian Lillard, who I want. That's underrated right there, and he's not even talked a lot besides in trade rumors. I've known, I mean, the, the, what, it's, it's so frustrating. He should have been starting years ago for us. Why was he not starting over Ennis Cantor of all people? Extremely like angered me. I, I never understood it. And then he's, you know, he's probably going to be, you know, sharing w- minutes with Moses Brown this year. I want to see how that looks like, but I genuinely think he's the most underrated player on our team. I have to agree with you. And I think that the, the main thing is he's underrated by his own team. I think you said this yes. beforehand in terms of his playing sure. time, but I'm looking at it even more specifically than that. Robert Williams played. 52 games, and he only started 13 of them. Talking about Daniel Tice, he only played 42 games for this team, and he started 37. And I think you can argue that Robert Williams is actually their most effective big. I think we saw that more so in the playoffs. I know everybody remembers the nine-block game against Brooklyn, but I think it goes deeper than that. That one performance, I think, is one of the things that puts Robert on the map. But that's that's not his only game where he stood out like that significantly on the defensive end. So I think that that's one of those things where when you look at this team, I think even they're undermining Robert Williams. And it's so interesting because, like Ian said beforehand, the main time that you ever hear about Robert is in trade rumors, which actually should go to tell you just how valuable he is that he keeps getting thrown in the mix with potential assets to be able to improve their team. So I think that's extremely interesting. 
Um, it's, it's, it's frustrating. That's all I'm going to say. It's it's very frustrating. Yeah, yeah Ian, I want to stick with you on this one. Who do you feel like is the most underrated player on your roster? If you think it's Robert Williams, who's the next person on your roster that you feel like is the most underrated in terms of the league? Oh, underrated? No, then I go Peyton Pritchard. Um, I, I say this because, um, again, he was, sl- like like Ryan said, he was slated a second-round pick. I actually had an argument, and I'm actually going to put him on full blast. Um, there's a guy um, <laughs> who really, really, uh, we had a basically an argument about it during the draft. Uh, he's a big Michigan State guy. She so was like, oh, no, I'm taking Cassius Winston over Peyton Pritchard any day in the draft. I'm like, well, that's what you think. Anyway, um, now we see where both guys are. Um, I won. Simple as that. I won. Uh, I said I'd rather have Peyton Pritchard. I don't care if, um, you know, Cassius had, you know, did this, this, and that. There were plenty of reasons why he was a second round pick. Um, I hopefully, I, I do wish Cassius the best. When you look at it, Peyton Pritchard is going to be a guy that's playing, uh, for teams, whether it be the Celtics or another one, constantly. Cassius might honestly be fighting for a roster spot soon with the Wizards. I'm telling you, it's as sad as it is to say, he might be. Uh, so I won. Anyway, but it's Peyton Pritchard. Why? I mean, this is a guy that he, we get on him for his defense, but he's actually a pretty tenacious defender. I mean, we're talking about a guy who, you know, getting the right coaching could be along the lines of T.J. McConnell if he, you know, kind of is more shifty and knows how to play the perimeter well. And then a guy who can shoot the ball well, I think he's only get, going to get better with shooting. But I think the, besides Robert Williams, it's Peyton Pritchard. The other one I would say there is an honorable mention is Semi Ojale. I mean, what he does on both ends of the floor, I feel like people don't talk about enough. But, uh, yeah, I got to say it's Peyton Pritchard. So, Ryan, if we if you had to pick one guy that's in that underrated category that's not Peyton Pritchard and not Robert Williams, who would be that guy for you for the Celtics? Okay, if we're talking about underrated, I'll say Jalen Brown. Because I think that if we talk about a guy like Jalen Brown, let's let's think about this for a second. This is a top three pick made in 2016. After the past couple of seasons, he's drastically improved. And especially this season in particular, especially when Jason Tatum went down. Who was the guy that was carrying Boston throughout the time that Jason Tatum went down? It was Jalen Brown. He is actually more valuable to the Celtics than we think he is. Obviously, I think Jason Tatum is the superstar of the team. I think we have an emerging superstar in Jalen Brown. And considering that he was an all-star this year, I feel like he is not on a lot of people's radars as being a top-10 shooting guard, even a top-5 shooting guard. I think that he is a top-5 shooting guard in the NBA. But I don't know if a lot of people have him in the top-5. And for that reason, he's underrated. I think that's pretty interesting. I think that's an interesting point just because I feel like there was a point earlier in the year where we had a debate about whether or not Jalen Brown was actually the team's best player. I think, Ian, you probably laugh at this as a Celtics fan and understand that Jason Tatum is the better player on your team. But I do think there was a national media cry at one point when Jason Tatum was off the floor that was kind of screeching for Jalen Brown to be their best player where I think I do agree with you is that it took for Jason Tatum to be off the floor for the debate to start when in reality I think it's one of those things that could have been argued that entire time with them both on the floor so I do think that there's an interesting way of looking at that depending on where you stand on that debate specifically if you're one of those people that views Jalen Brown as the best 
you're wondering you're wondering why it took this long for anybody to even pay him any mind. If you're a guy who's on the side of Jalen or uh, Jason Tatum, on the other hand, you might see this as comparable. But maybe in that aspect, that does make it where Jalen Brown is a bit underrated because of the fact that, wow, this is as a J- as a Jason Tatum fan, you're wondering, dang, this actually is a debate in real life. Like, I didn't even know that we were really having to have this kind of conversation. So I think that's kind of interesting. My take on this, honestly, in this specific question, in terms of underrated, is Evan Fournier. I thought that was like, like low-key. That would have been my easy backup one. And it was just out of the mere fact that he was able to average double digits as the fourth option on this team. He led the team, like, pretty pretty easily in terms of field goal, uh, in terms of field goal, um percentage from a three-point standpoint the three-point shooter he shot 46.3 percent from three next best person in terms of realistic jumpers was Jalen Brown at 39.7 percent I mean this is a guy who was getting 5.9 threes up a game averaging double figures on a on this team and was a guy who again is because of playing with Orlando more specifically is associated with not really playing winning basketball despite the fact that I think if the Celtics don't do anything this offseason, their best move is to at least at bare minimum re-sign Evan Fournier. I think that would be their best case scenario. So I think that that makes him underrated out of the fact that I you could argue he's their best three-point shooter. And he's a guy that if they don't do anything else, reacquiring him might actually be one of the best, best if not top of the list things for this team. Ian, I see you kind of pondering a little bit about that statement. So go ahead. No, no, no. I mean, I, I agree with that. Uh, I just want to get some Ryan said. Um, I... I this is interesting. As a Celtics fan, I like it. As a realistic fan, it's more um, interesting, and I actually genuinely need to, to question you on. You said Jalen Brown's a top five shooting guard in the league? I think he is a top five shooting guard in the league. Really? Yes. Who's your other four? For me, yeah, Jalen Brown, for me, was borderline top five, but I put him at number five because of this past season. Okay. That's that's my point. Because like, I can I can yeah. give, there's there's I can literally give you like six or seven I'd put before Jalen Brown. This is nothing against mm-hmm. him. I love him, mm-hmm. um, but uh, okay, let me just go into it because this is depend on how you see him. Um, mm-hmm. well, sometimes depend on how the Nets. So James Harden, mm-hmm. um, Clay Thompson when he's healthy, Bradley Beal, Zach Levine, Devin Booker who's in the finals right now, right. Donovan Mitchell. That's six right there. Then I mm-hmm. probably put Jalen Brown in that company. You see what I'm saying? I think that's an interesting point that you bring up. And, and Ian, I'm kind of glad you brought it up because I, at, at the end of the day, this is Ryan, I, I actually want to get your retort on this because I don't think this is a slight at your take per se. It's, it's but not. I think this is actually more of a showing of just where Boston fans stand on their team. That's why I think it's so interesting because I think the easy thing that Ian could have done as a Celtics fan would have been to say, oh, dang, top five word on Jalen Brown. That's tough. Like, he could have ran with that. And that, as a Celtics fan, that's where you would want to stand on your – your belief is that you have a top five shooting guard in the league. I, I I think that as a Celtics fan, you would want to believe, especially with the progression specifically like you mentioned from um, that you saw in this past season and even the, the two seasons prior, oh, my guy is stepping in the top five shooting guard in the league status. That that's what a Celtics fan would want to hear. But I honestly think that the retort to that is actually good conversation for this team, because, again, what Ian said, I think, before. And it's so interesting about but where but but how do you view these guys? The interesting thing about Bradley Beal is from an offensive standpoint, finished second in off uh, finished second in 
uh, scoring this year behind Steph Curry, but do you feel like he's a, a player that's conducive to winning basketball? Devin Booker, do you feel as though he's been an empty calorie stats player up until being able to get a secondary point guard or a secondary ball handler like Chris Paul? Do you feel as though Jalen Brown would be this same dude as the primary option? Something that we took a look at Pascal Siakam and actually saw him take a step back on when he went from being, he was second at one point. Then there was a point where he was third this past year. He is actually probably number one, despite the fact that Kyle Lowry is still on the team. So I think that it's an interesting conversation. Yeah, like I said, it's tough to come up with a top five. But I put would put Jalen Brown at five, Donovan Mitchell at four, Devin Booker at three, Bradley Beal at two, and James Harden at one. When we look at this this ascension, so to say, of Jalen Brown, I become a fan of his game in a short amount of time because, not, like I said, I I feel like Ian can kind of take this from the Celtics fan perspective. He wasn't doing that great his first couple of years. To see this improvement, I think, from even last season to this season, I think it's a testament to how Jalen Brown has grown as a player that he's been able to exceed these expectations. Also, for those of you wondering why I didn't put Clay Thompson on the list, it was simply because of injury, and we're talking about top five point guards this season. So if Clay Thompson were on this list, I would bump Jalen Brown off, and Clay Thompson would be in my top five. Mm-hmm. So just to clear that up real quick. But, yeah, we're talking about Jalen Brown and his ascension. I think it's been impressive, and this is something that Celtics fans have to look forward to. And this is a guy who could be very difficult to replace if he leaves. Yeah, so I'm I'm really glad that you guys actually had that conversation because of the fact that I think that's an interesting way to take a look at you guys' team. Whenever you have two guys on a roster that play such an integral part on a team, when you start doing player rankings, which Ian, you know, well, we have been doing this a little bit more on the spot lately on this pod where we kind of just drop top fives here and there. But I think in this standpoint, especially when you have to look at your team realistically, understanding the value of your player, if you feel like Jalen Brown is a top five player, that leans into the question that you made earlier about the idea of would you really trade him if it meant being able to get Damian Lillard? That also was something that puts in perspective. If you believe he's top five, then it's tough to be able to slot a guy like Damian Lillard, who's on the the upper end of 30, who still is an all-star level point guard, MVP caliber point guard, who I believe is top five in a point guard race, but is on an an uptick as opposed to a guy like Jalen Brown, who still even now has so much time to improve. If he's already top five, I think it changes your, your viewpoint on this and makes it a little bit easier to make that decision as opposed to saying that it's difficult. No, so I think that's interesting. Don't don't get me wrong. As a Celtics fan, I love to hear it, especially right. when, you know, somebody right. outside of the organization. I mean, of you know the fandom saying JB is top five. I love to hear it. Right. But me, me in a realistic you know NBA fan sense, I honestly thought Jalen would say something to it because Ryan didn't even mention Zach Levine is top five. We're talking about a guy that scored almost thirty points a game. Zach Levine definitely in my top five. We're talking about progression here. Zach mm-hmm. Levine has definitely progressed since he's got into the league, but. I love it. I mean, keep it going. I mean, don't don't care what I got to say. I love it. I love it. I mean, especially when, look, if someone could talk to me and is like, oh, you know, uh, would you do JB and, you know, this trade or this trade? I'm like, nah, my boy Ryan said JB top five, so it don't matter. You feel me? So that's kind of like, that's why I thought it was so interesting. And in terms of the Zach Levine thing, I think we'll probably have that conversation when we actually really get deeper into the Bulls. But I think when we're comparing him to JB, I think I still have my trepidations about it, mainly just because of the defensive end. I think there's certain things that, Zach gives me that I like at the shooting guard position specifically that I feel like Jalen gives maybe more as a three. 
So I think that that's where things get tricky in comparing them, but I would probably still take Jalen, which is why I didn't have a ton, ton of pushback. But again, I think that's a really great conversation for yeah. this when you talk about we have to talk about these kind of things from the aspect of trade value, which for this team is the biggest thing in terms of conversating how this team can get better. Um, the the last two things that we're going to finish on is, um, Ian, I'll just come right back to you with this one. If you had to predict what seed your team would finish with, what team, what seed do you think your team would finish with this season, uh, this upcoming season? Based on everything you've seen so far, based on some of the things that we've discussed, based on some of the things that you think are more realistic than others, what do you believe the realistic seeding uh, would be for this team in terms? You can give me a range if you'd like to, if it makes it a little bit easier. But um, what do you think that would be? Oh, yeah, no, I'm definitely giving you a range because um, let's, let's put everything in perspective. We still don't have a point guard or we don't have a solidified point guard right now. We just got a new head coach. Um, I could see the range being anything from four to seven. I know it's a bigger range, but I could see us, like I say, we do get a point guard. Uh, whether it be, you know, one of the lower caliber one free agents or even, you know, a big star free agent that's like a blockbuster, you know, type move, I could see us being a 3C because, I mean, we we, we know what's going on with Ben Simmons and Philly. They're definitely going to dip. <laughs> They're definitely going to dip. I, I can't wait for it. Um, I could definitely see them falling off and us kind of being that, you know, top three or four team in the East, depending on what we do. But, again, I could also see us basically doing the same thing as this year, kind of being inconsistent if we don't get that point guard of the future and if we don't do anything to that bench because we don't have any draft picks this year no i mean we do but it's second round and i mean that's not really going to do anything big for us so um i'd say i say four to seven depending on you know what we do this offseason ryan how do you feel about it based on everything that we've kind of listed i will leave a damian lillard trade out of it in terms of moving the needle but some of the other more realistic trades and acquisitions that we mentioned that could be on the table with all of that stuff in mind what do you think could be like the uh the ceiling so to speak in terms of seeding for this team next year so the ceiling is the fourth seed and their floor i would say is probably the eighth seed i do think if they get damian lillard that's a huge boost to a team that can get an elite point guard while filling a position of need if we also look at you know some of the other possible signees that they can that they can make throughout free agency they can significantly add to their bench depth by getting guys like Patty Mills, by getting guys like Austin Rivers, by getting guys like TJ McConnell. So I think that could be huge in terms of why they become the fourth seed in the East and reach their ceiling. In terms of their floor, this is basing off if they don't make any moves and they pretty much just re-sign Evan Fournier, Luke Cornette, Semi Ojale. The eighth seed is pretty much based off if they don't make any moves at all. Um, I, I would have to say that their top end is probably number two. I think at the same time, we have to factor in like the regular season, like we have to factor in the actual play of the regular season, the style of the regular season. And I think that's going to, I mean, you already mentioned Ian, the idea of Philadelphia potentially taking a step back, especially if Ben Simmons is traded. Now what they get from that could change how we feel about that, but that's very interesting to look at with Brooklyn. I think that we have to look at their injury situation as well as what they plan on doing from a roster standpoint. I think two is realistic for them to finish that again, but I think they might even take the regular season, even, even they might coast through the regular season even more next year than they did this season, just strictly off of what they saw from their, from their depth after watching 
Kyrie go down, James Harden go down, and watching Kevin Durant to do it all by himself, they might pull off the gas even more than what we felt like they might have done this past season after seeing all the injuries pile up. Milwaukee, they log minutes like crazy. And don't get me wrong, during the regular season, they sure as heck find the, find the time to, you know, get their players that rest. But they're going to, I mean, if they're a team that's going to be at the top of the Eastern Conference. And, Lord, if they win the championship, you know it's not going to be an opportunity to pull that gas off anymore. You're officially a target. We've seen this with every NBA champion, and it's going to continue. The Bucks are not absolved of that. So, I, I mean, you know, you can look at New York and Atlanta, and I think that's just going to be strictly based on what they do in free agency, specifically New York, because they have all the space in the world to get better, and they don't even have to get rid of anybody to do so with the kind of money that they have available. So I think Boston has the chance to float somewhere around two to five. I think six through eight is I think you would be scared if they even were remotely around that range, because I think that would warrant a guy like Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown taking significant dips in the wrong direction. And I just don't see that. I don't the ability to ask 25 plus point per game scores to get better (laughs) is one of those unrealistic NBA Twitter things we see. So it's kind of hard to ask them to improve even further beyond where they are right now. But they would have to take a significant dip for, I think, to get as bad as it's gotten and I think or, or worse. And I think them being a seventh seed this past season was indicative of a lot of the things they were missing from this roster, whether it be the bench, like we mentioned earlier in the pod, um, the covid protocol situations that was also mentioned in terms of missing games and missing guys. So I think that this team can honestly range from about two to five. And I think if it gets any worse than that, I think that there was something internally that's taking place. And um, Ian, we're going to just close out with this, man. I'm going to let you get the final words in regards to your team. Anything that you have to say in regards to what your team might do this offseason, what you expect from your team, what you want your team to do, or just flat out uh, a PSA to Boston Celtics fans from your perspective of what you feel regarding this team look was it a disappointing season yes did it did it hurt watching this team go from a four seed or whatever we were like i'm pretty sure we were a four seed in the 2019 2020 season in the bubble and then get to the you know the eastern conference finals and end up losing to the heat i i love that team yeah it was disappointing to watch that go from that to what happened this year granted there was a lot that was going on this year with us so i'll say that i'll say this to not only just to well, let me start with Brad Stevens. Um, don't don't get on this power trip and don't get all power hungry and don't do these moves that honestly that might look good to you in your head, but don't look good in any other aspect. And when like people being like, what do you mean by that? Look, we don't honestly our draft capital is honestly kind of slipping a little bit more every every time we start giving up these players. This is why I was iffy. Granted, I'm, I'm starting to like it more now, but it was iffy with that Kemba Walker trade. We don't really have too many picks in an actual stack draft this year, which is kind of making me a little angry. But it is what it is. I actually think Moses Brown will be okay with us. Number two is, you know, especially to, to, to Celtics fans, stay patient. The thing with Celtics fans, if you've ever been on NBA Celtics Twitter, we have always been so impatient about winning. I know we're in win-now mode. Of course we are. This does not mean we're going to win in finals overnight. You got to look about what these other teams are doing too. You know, it's it's not going to be Udoka's fault this year. Give him some time. It's not going to be you know who like oh we might not be happy with Moses Brown. Give him some time. Patience is a virtue. Look at what the Suns have done. Look at what hopefully I don't think they will. 
And no, no, no. And not, besides, besides the team I'm thinking about, look at what the Hawks have done. They've been patient. They they went to the ECF this year. Out could they next year? Who knows? Their ceiling is very high. Look at what there, a lot of other teams are doing. Stay patient. Stay patient with the young guys. Stay patient with what we're doing at the point guard position. There are so many guys on Twitter like, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for the season to end. Simple as that. We should be waiting for the season to end. It's going to take time to get back to the finals. I feel like a lot of people, especially because in Boston culture, we're so used to winning that we haven't had a team like I mean, I mean, like the Patriots this past year go seven and nine and made so many people angry. Did you really think a team with no wide receivers was going to make it to the NBA to the NFL playoffs? No. Did you really think a team that just lost Mookie Betts, the the, the who was supposed to be the franchise player for us in the MLB, get to, were we supposed to get to the MLB playoffs without him? No, but we're good this year anyway. But. Same thing with the Celtics. Do you really think? Let, let's say we don't make any. Oh my goodness! If we made no moves at the point guard position, don't talk to me ever in my life this for the upcoming year because I would cry every day. But let's just say we don't make any moves at the point guard position. Again, it takes time. That's all I'm going to say because I mean, City of Champions were too used to winning, and I think we've been spoiled with a lot of good teams to a point where. We get hard on these coaches and players who don't play up to the standard we're used to, which which is acceptable. But it's to a point where, okay, look, there's times where you're going to have to rebuild. There were times where we did rebuild. I mean, I was personally sad to see Isaiah Thomas go, and I'm still sad to see him go, especially how it worked out with uh, Kyrie Irving. Oh my goodness, I was angry. I still have the IT jersey in my in my uh, in my you know in my closet. You know, I, I take it out for for uh, playoff games though, Ryan. I do. I do. Anyway, um, that's just that's just besides the point. I'm sorry. I, I told you I wasn't going to get on you for that. But last thing I will say is this. Whatever we do this offseason, just have some faith behind it. Hopefully it does, you know, lead to wins. Hopefully it does. I personally, I like how Jalen said, you know, we could potentially be a two seed with the upside we actually do have this year. But remember, it's going to take time. If we do end up with a six seed or a seven seed, be grateful for that. You know why? There's not a lot of people saying big things about a seven seed if Jalen Brown was healthy. Do you know how many people were like they could have taken the Nets to six or seven games if they were healthy? No one else was saying that about the seven seed out, you know, actually the late, I mean, besides the Lakers, I mean, granted, there's, there's stuff here and there. But any other year, do you really think any other seven seed is taking any other two seed to a seven game series? No, there's things there. So it just takes time. Ryan, I think that's a perfect way to end the pod, bro. I think that this is something that we want to keep consistent in terms of this Wheel of Fandom series that we have going. I hope to continue to get really interesting insight throughout the offseason about each of these teams. And I feel like I learned something more and more as we progress through these conversations. I think it's only going to get better with every team that we talk about. So uh, take us away uh, with the question of the day and get us about here. And here we are with the question of the day for our fans. What are the expectations going into next season for the Boston Celtics? We'd like to thank our guest again, Ian Evans from The Impact, for joining us and also kicking off this new series here on the Hoop Talk podcast. So on that note, we will see you guys next episode.